Hello everyone, Michael Lombardo here. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. You can find out more about our ministry, Life Poured Out International, by going to www.lifeportoutintl.org. If you are new to the show, every Monday and Thursday, we are streaming a new episode on the charismapodcastnetwork.com. You could also go to the Charisma Plus app. There's hundreds of free content on there for our podcast. You could also go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, pretty much anywhere that podcasts are listened to. If you are a faithful listener, thank you so much for your participation. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for subscribing, rating, reviewing. This helps us get this out to more people so they can be blessed and awakened by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for spreading the news. I just keep hearing testimony after testimony of what God is doing through the podcast. And so that warms my heart and it means a lot to me truly. So thank you if you are a faithful listener and a part of the Waken podcast family. I always love talking to incredible people from around the world that have devoted themselves to the Lord, his ministry, his gospel. And we get to, we we don't have to, but we get to spread his word. He possesses possesses us and we get to spread his gospel, see people set free, see eyes open, and we get to see an awakening in the body of Christ, see people come to know Jesus in a deep and intimate way, which is my life, which is what I'm passionate about. And so um, I'm just I'm just grateful to be a small piece of in this in this wonderful thing that God is doing here in the earth and so thank you so much and today I have a guest on the show this is second time joining me on the podcast he was on maybe six to eight months ago with Paul Young the author of The Shack his name is Brad Jersak he is an author he is a teacher Um, he serves as a reader and monastery preacher at All Saints of North America Orthodox Monastery he has many books and seminars and he shares the good news that God is love and perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ, which we'll be speaking about today. We can't share the gospel without talking about Jesus Christ and his love. And so we're going to be diving in today. Um, possibly, you'll possibly be hearing some things you you maybe have never considered or thought about before. We love to challenge on this show as well. And so, but the he, Brad loves to teach on how to encounter God through the practice of listening to uh, prayer through which God's love heals wounded hearts and empowers us to heal a broken world. Thank you, Brad, for joining me again. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And so before we get into um, our content here today, before we dive into the book that you just released called A More Christ-Like Word, tell me how the Lord first awakened your heart. How did you first encounter the Lord Jesus? Well, I grew up in a conservative Baptist home where my parents uh, taught me that Jesus is alive, that he's real, that when I pray to him, he hears me from within my heart and mm. that I can hear from him as I, as, as I engage the scriptures. And so I want to say that, you know, I, I've come a long way since then, but none of that has changed. And so I can say that, you know, as a little boy, I, when I would close my eyes and I would begin to speak to, to him in prayer, um, the sense I had was this intense nearness, you know, like mm. if you were to think about your hand being, over your heart or over your face within like a couple of inches. That's how he felt to me and yeah. from the inside out. And so I, uh, uh, while my theology has developed and as I've, as maybe in some ways grown with the Lord, I, I don't know that I was ever closer to him than then. And, um, <laughs> you know, that hurt that I, I, I experienced that by 
hearing the name of Jesus from my mom's lap and, and uh, hearing it through the messengers in, you know, where I went to church, but also every night I would listen to radio preachers. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I'm, I'm just very grateful that it felt like a living connection from as early as I can remember. Wow. That's really beautiful. That's special. Um, he is, uh, he's real. He is alive. Um, he, he wants a heart to heart connection with us. He wants us to sense him, hear him, walk with him in a very real, um, practical, a very spiritual way. And so I just, I love that because God, he longs for relationship. He wants to walk with us. And I love hearing that you encountered the Lord. Um, when you were young, especially because a lot of people say, oh man, I'm telling my, you know, I'm dragging my kids to church and I'm, I'm sharing with them, you know, the, the scriptures and I'm sharing, you know, but you don't always see the fruit right away. Right. But I, I don't want to diminish the power of that. You know, just even hearing your story, I want for those who are parents that are listening to this right now, I don't want, I don't want to diminish the power of ministering to your children and sharing the gospel with your children and teaching them how to engage God from a young age because it reaps beautiful fruit and your life is a testimony of that. And so that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it really went in and I, and it stayed in. <laughs> um, I, and I, 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 that's what I long for others, you know, that it, apart from a living connection, Jesus just becomes an idea and other ideas come along. Right. But it's mm-hmm. like, no, this is a person, a, a real person. That's right. That is right. uh, That is right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. You just released a book called A More Christ-Like Word, Reading Scripture the Emmaus Way. And I want to, I want to dive right in here because I want to make sure that, because this is a very extensive topic. And for maybe some people listening right now, you touch on some things that they might deem controversial. And I want to, but at the same time, like it's, we, we need to dig into the word and we need to, you know, uh, it's, it's important that we get grasp some understanding here. But this book, especially the first few chapters, you are talking about, um, opening up your life. And you, you really open up your life and you share your journey of coming into um, progressively more revelation of Jesus Christ being the word of God. You know, we give lip service there saying, yes, Jesus is the word of God. Most Christians, if you're a Christian, you need to agree with that. Um, but, you know, you make the differentiation of us considering the Bible to be the word of God and considering Jesus to be the word of God. And, you know, a lot of people would be like, what do you mean the Bible is not the word of God and Jesus is the word of God? I would like to, because that's the foundation of this book and you really dive into that and, you know, you layer it throughout the entire thing. But let's, let's just start there and kind of tackle that because a lot of people's ears might pop up and say, what do you, what do you mean by saying Jesus is the word of God? Are you diminishing the fact that the Bible is? Yeah, that's a great question. I guess I would start with what does the Bible say the word of God is? And so when the Bible speaks about the Word of God, it's never talking about a book. Um, At times it is talking about the promises of God that we read in a book, or the testimony of God um, in His covenants, but ultimately, centrally, when the Bible refers to the Word of God, it's talking about Jesus. And Mm -hmm. so um, somehow we end up displacing that because I think we lose sight of this personal connection with Jesus and begin to resort to what many faith statements say is the Bible is our final authority for faith and practice. Actually, no, the Bible says Jesus is our final authority. The Bible says it's the spirit who leads us into all truth. The Bible says that even that the church is the pillar pillar and foundation of the truth. It's like, what's going on here? So I think, um, 
what I want to say is that when the Bible speaks about the Word of God, it's, it's directly talking about Jesus Christ, who is known through the Scriptures, and so they are a faithful witness to the Word. And then, um, how do we come to know uh, Jesus as our final authority in faith and practice? Well, the Bible says that it's a combination of the Word, the Spirit, and the body, an interdependent kind of witness to the one who is what God has to say about himself. And that's what Brian Zahn says. This is what we mean by the Word of God, that Jesus shows up and he is what God has to say about himself, and such that even the scriptures bow to the living God when he came in the flesh. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And so when people hear that, I think most people would say, absolutely, amen. Like most people would agree with that in their spirit. Yes, Jesus is the perfect picture of who God is because the scriptures clearly state that. And yes, Jesus is the word of God. The, the, you know, the scriptures clearly state that. And so are the scriptures just a, um, are just there to testify of Jesus? Then I know in your book, you, you talk about inerrancy and, and is the scriptures inspired and what all of that means? I think that's important for us to kind of, um, outline that right now. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I don't like using the word just in, in the sense of the Bible is just, uh, <laughs> the Bible is, is, it's amazing. I think it's genius, and I believe it's inspired. Um, some of our approaches to it tried to limit it. In other words, uh, whatever the Bible is, it can't be a conversation between competing voices, because then how will we control this thing, right? And so uh, one of the ways that I, I feel like Scripture really opened up to me is in seeing it. Yes, there's many books, many authors, and many genres, but as a whole, it is this inspired, uh, how can I put this? It, it, it is the redemption saga. It is this grand story that is leading somewhere. And where it's leading is to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And mm. so in the early church, when they would speak about the Bible being inspired, what, that's what they meant by it, that every book in these scriptures is part of a bigger story the drama of redemption whose central theme is, uh, is how God reveals himself to us through, through Jesus. It's all pointing toward that right from the very opening chapters of Genesis. So, so I, I think that we need the, to let the Bible dictate to us rather than the other way around how it does that. And how it does that, I call that, it's, that it's a polyphonic witness. That means there's not only many authors, but there's also many perspectives right within Scripture. There's a conversation, what we have sometimes called a text in travail, as these people are sorting out who is it, what is it we're hoping for and waiting for, and they don't get it until the road to Emmaus, where, where Jesus unveiled how the Scriptures had already been witnessing to him. And, and how they make sense of his death and resurrection and even anticipate it, but they couldn't see it. Mm. Um, this is important to me because then it means we don't just take an individual chapter and, and uh, out, you know, in isolation mm -hmm. as a standalone text, you know. Um, it's, it's not. That's like taking, 
you know, chapter 23 of Lord of the Rings and saying, well, this is what, you know, this is the truth here. No, it's part of, it's part of the, the unrolling narrative that finds its climax, um, actually in the passion and resurrection of Christ. (laughs) <laughs> I love digging into the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation, but especially in the Old Testament, seeing um, seeing pictures of Jesus, seeing, you know, and, and I think throughout, um, you know, Genesis, you know, all the way to Malachi, you see, you see um, aspects of God's heart being revealed. You see progressive revelation and people tapping in and gaining understanding, but the clearest picture of who God truly is in his son, Jesus, in his life, in his ministry, in his teachings, in his death, in his suffering, in his resurrection, um, and through the, through the apostles. But I just love seeing glimpses and pictures of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And of course, there are the challenging passages as well um, that we run into that there's that a lot of people have question marks like, what in the world could this mean? How does this make sense? Um, to the Jesus that I know and love. How does this? How does this picture of God, or how does how does this make sense to what Jesus said here in the in the in the New Covenant here in the Gospels? And I know you talk a lot in your book about you know how we as believers um, need to function with the Scriptures and how we should approach it, especially some of the more difficult te- texts in the Old Testament in terms of God's um, nature being revealed in Jesus. And so I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so so here's the deal. Um, I'm a Christian. There may be other ways to read the Old Testament, but I want to read it as a Christian. And so what Jesus does is, in on the road to Emmaus, he tells his disciples, here's how you read this book. Uh, you read it, you read Moses, you read the prophets, and you read all the scriptures as testifying about me. That means I have no business in the Old Testament apart from my rabbi. In fact, no good Jew would enter the Old Testament or their Hebrew scriptures without the guidance of a rabbi. And our Lord Jesus Christ is that rabbi. So that automatically means um, I am sitting at his feet when I go to those texts. Mm -hmm. And when I go to those texts, I keep in mind what he said about them. This is about me. Now, so on one layer, it's never going to be perfectly about him because hebrews 1 says that it's only in christ that we get the exact representation of his likeness or john 1 the apostle says no one's seen god at any time but god the only son who's in the bosom of the father he has made him known so that so i don't touch the old testament apart from both jesus as our teacher and jesus as the um sort of as the content and i say imperfect also in this way Um, The Old Testament scriptures prefigure Christ, and and I see at least three layers to that. So every time you see the people of God suffering in the Old Testament, let's say Joseph is thrown into the pit by his brothers, Mm -hmm. that prefigures the much greater suffering of Jesus as he bears the sin and sorrow of the whole world on the cross. So it's like a trailer of the greater thing that's coming. Mm-hmm. Second, every victory that you see in the whole Old Testament, including really dubious ones like genocides, for example, and you know, this lust to kill everybody, including the infants and all that. Well, those kind of victories are precursors to a much, much greater victory where on the cross and in his resurrection, 
Christ defeats not only like not bad guys by killing them, but he defeats Satan, sin and death itself in which no one else has to die for the world to be made right. Mm. And then third, every time you see injustice in the Old Testament, and you see it a lot, you see the people of God being critiqued by the prophets. And it's just like, this is so horrendous. This is not a revelation of God. This is a revelation about the human condition and its defiance. Well, that too then becomes uh, a type of the much greater betrayal and the much greater sin of when the state and religion and the crowd gather together to, um, to arrest and beat and humiliate and, and crucify Jesus Christ so, so that we see you know, Herod and Pilate and Judas, they, they are foreshadowed by these Old Testament injustices. So that means everywhere I look in the Old Testament, I'm seeing either the suffering of Christ, the betrayal of Christ, or the victory of Christ, almost like a model of the, of the huge structure, right? If you make, and so St. Melito of Sardis says this, it's like, if you're going to make a big, beautiful statue, you start with a model. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make a giant skyscraper, you're going to, the architect's going to bring you a little model. And all of these stories are like that. They're a model of the greater thing, the fuller thing that will be completed in Christ. If we get an understanding of this, I truly believe that you can't read the Old Testament scriptures the same way ever again. It's like you're reading through, but if you're always looking for Jesus, you are searching for Christ, you are your mind is fixated on him as you're reading through Genesis to Malachi, as you're diving in and you're reading, and Jesus is the only thing on your mind. You're trying to sift every scripture through him. It's just I think that it would just be a fresh, like just reading those type would be like, oh my gosh, like wow, I've never seen these things before. I think it would just revolutionize the way that we that we see and kind of approach the scriptures in that sense which would be so eye-opening you know and so i highly recommend yep. like I, I i i say amen to everything that you that you shared right there and just for those who are listening right now take that to heart when you're reading the old testament scriptures just think about jesus let him be in the center of your heart the the focus of your mind and your attention and and let all these scriptures just be filtered through jesus because they all testify of him that is a purpose and so that's beautiful. And one thing that you talk about in your book that I, I would love to tackle here for a little bit, I would hate to um, not go over this because I feel like this is um, a theology that many of us have bought into, many of us have heard um, preached, and many of us just kind of believe just because it's what we've heard predominantly, maybe in our church circles or our denominations. But you share about your journey of understanding um, the cross and um, who killed Jesus? Was it the father? Was it the people? Was it the Jews of his day and the rabbi and the Sadducee? It's, it's a doctrine called penal substitution where the wrath of God needed to be poured out on Jesus for him to forgive the sins of his people to take away the sins of the world. And so uh, for those who might not understand that term penal substitution, I'd love to kind of bring a little definition to that. And then why is this such a wrong way to read the scriptures? Yeah, this could be rattling for some people if they've been told this is the gospel since the time they were children, mm-hmm. as I was. Yeah. And uh, I, I not only bought into it, I defended that doctrine in my master's thesis. So a few of very few of my critics have written a 180-page defense of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but having, having done that, yeah, so here's the idea. Um, penal substitution said this. 
God actually is not free to forgive sin. He must punish it. And that for him to forgive would be unjust. And so he can either punish it in you, in hell, for all eternity, or he can punish it on his son, on the cross, instead of you. Now, so then the gospel became, take your pick. Believe that he dies for you or go to hell forever. And that it was reduced to that. And I know some people say, well, you're, that's a caricature and you're, no, I'm telling you that's what's preached in thousands upon thousands of pulpits every weekend. And I was one of them. So I know what I did at least. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, with an anointing, by the way. So <laughs> uh, now what we, this raises some problems then, uh, some very serious heresies that we covered in the third and fourth centuries. Here's one that it splits the Trinity between the father and the son. And suddenly now, so the son is being punished by this father. The father can't look at the son. He has to turn from the son. He has to pour his wrath on the son. And so you sever the Trinity and you, you, this is called tritheism. You, instead of having one God in three indivisible persons, you now split it. Second, it ends up splitting Jesus between his humanity and his deity. The one on the cross were like, well, God couldn't look on him because he became sin. Uh, whatever that meant, we're like, oh, so are we really saying Jesus ceased to be God? So God can't look at his son because he's not God anymore? That's, that's a tremendous problem. Um, and then third, that this idea that, that God is retributive and he's somehow subject to uh, a justice that is only fulfilled through violence. Uh, sacrifice of your own children. Well, that's Molech. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what Baal wanted, you know? Yeah. Uh, so what does Paul actually say? Paul says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, so there's no split, not counting their sins against them. So it's actually a pardon, not a payment. Um, and and uh, th- th- this is not about punishment, it's about reconciliation. And so then, then if it's not about God needing to get his pound of flesh through violence, what is it about? As if, I get that a lot. Well, then what's the cross about? As if it's about nothing then. You yeah. know, it's either this <laughs> violent child yeah. sacrifice or it's nothing. No, here's what it's about. That on the, cross, on the cross, we see the nature of God come into clearest focus through Jesus Christ as self-giving radically forgiving, co-suffering love. So first of all, it's this definitive revelation of God as love, exactly like First John tells us in chapter 3 and 4. If you want to know what God is, God is love. If you want to know what that love looks like, it looks like God in his Son from the cross reconciling all men to himself. But it's also a, it's also a decisive victory over darkness and dread and death. And so it's not only a revelation, God's actually accomplishing something there. And the biggest thing that the early church says he accomplishes actually is, is the defeat of death itself and uh, the forgiveness of sin and then the removal then of our fear and shame and guilt. And so I just think what a, what a beautiful, um, very generous view of the cross that, that this, and, and I'm just getting all of this from the early church fathers and mothers. 
I'm really not very creative. I'm a researcher. And, but my research has caused me to fall more deeply in love with Jesus forever. And I am a theologian of the cross in that sense. Yeah. And so many people, they just say, you know what? I understand the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, you know, and then let's just go on to the deeper things. You know, uh, once you get captured by what Christ, who he is, what he has truly accomplished uh, on the in his life, you know, in his suffering, in the crucifixion, in his resurrection, it's like you cannot like nothing else is deeper than that. It's like I'm so I can't even change the subject. I truly like I, <laughs> I, I am enraptured forever at this revelation that Jesus is. Oh, my gosh. The, just the beauty of the cross. Just there's no separation between us and God. And, you know, there was so much striving in my life before. You know, and I used to I used to just kind of sift through the Gospels when I first got saved. Like, OK, well, I, I get the end of the story. Jesus died. And I'm saved. All this stuff. I wouldn't even read the Gospels. And I would just be like, God, like, how come it's not moving my heart? How come, you know, when I read about what Jesus did, it's just a story I heard my entire life. And I went on this journey of like, God, what did you truly accomplish on the cross? And it didn't just happen overnight. It came through a period of years, but under you know, deconstructing penal substitution, getting a revelation of no separation, getting this understanding that I don't need to strive for God to love me. I don't need to strive for God to be happy with me or pleased with me. This understanding of uh, the, my God-given, you know, God-given righteousness and just this entire revelation of what Jesus accomplished and his finished work just revolutionized my mind and my, and my heart. And it's beautiful. And you, and you even, you know, cause you, you grew up with a relationship with the Lord and you had certain belief systems. Like you said, at one point you believed and preached penal substitution and then over time you began to deconstruct that and, and dig into the early church fathers and and really study and pray and ask the lord and you even called it um you know it's a journey of what many would call de- you know deconstruction and you say that brian zahn had him on the show previously you mentioned him earlier how he calls it something else he doesn't call it deconstruction he calls it art restoration and I, I i love that and i would love you to explain that a little bit but i also feel like connected to that a lot of people feel like it's wrong to question traditions it's wrong to you know be like well what do you mean well i was taught this way though you know, majority of the church that i know and my de- my denomination believes this like you know like a lot of people feel like it's wrong to question traditional belief systems but i don't know like we <laughs> god's given us his spirit to search out truth so i'd love to hear about that yeah, I, I have two, I think, important thoughts about that. One is that I am, by nature, deeply conservative. And so this is not about me going off the end of a limb here into some kind of, uh, you know, I, I want to say like floppy liberalism or something like that. That That's not who I am. So So for me, my conservative side, the side of me that wants to say, what needs to be conserved? Well, when I started looking at the, at, at the theology and the history of the theology of the cross, for example, and, and our understandings of salvation, I, went, I, I discovered, well, penal substitution is actually only 500 years old. That's not old enough for me. That's not, that doesn't yeah. deserve to be called a tradition. Mm. <laughs> the tradition is the faith once delivered by Jesus through his apostles to the early church fathers and mothers who gathered the scriptures and then interpreted them in a very different way. So you can have an old 
tradition, but I want an ancient tradition. And so that's, I guess that's the two things. One is I'm, I'm even questioning whether penal substitution is worthy of the, uh, of the name tradition since it's so recent in its emergence. And and then second, that for those with a conservative impulse like me, instead of going off the end of the limb, you climb down the trunk of the tree to the very roots. And then you begin to say, how did, um, how did Irenaeus of Lyon, the grand disciple of John the Apostle, how did he preach this in the second century? How did Origen preach it in the third century? How did Gregory and Basil and Macrina and Antony and Athanasius preach it in the fourth century? That, that, that's who has my attention because they're actually the people who gave us the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the deity of Christ, but even the New Testament itself. They chose what would be in the New Testament by running it through the grid of the gospel that they had received. Mm-hmm. And the gospel they had received, I, I have just summarized as this revelation of God as love and, and his victory over Satan, sin, and death. I mean, that's what they preach. So I'm like, I, um, those who are nervous then about questioning the tradition, I'm like, oh yeah, definitely question it because... We need to get to the very roots of it. And I would say the, the Bible itself um, both invites, models, and maybe demands that we bring our questions. So you look at, you look at who were the people who were most intimate with God in the Old Testament? Abraham, Moses, and David. And these guys were not just compliant. They they developed an intimate relationship with God based in their wrestling with him, even such that, you know, Jacob's name is becomes Israel because he's the one who struggles. And now, and now he comes to know God and has, and mm-hmm. enters into a co- covenant with him yep. because he's willing to bring his questions and try to negotiate. And this is exactly what God was looking for in a confidant. So I want to be like that. <laughs> I think people are afraid. People are scared of what others think, maybe what their denomination thinks and believes. People are scared of potentially being deceived, maybe digging in a little too deep and being deceived. Um, you know, they believe more in the enemy's power to deceive them than God's power to keep them from stumbling. Um, it's it's un- yeah. it's it's unfortunate, you know. So many people. You know, they they take what their pastor has to say and their denomination has to say and they just run with it. And I get it because we're, you know, we're not all meant to be theologians and pastors and teachers. And, and you know, and whatever we grew up in, that's what we believe. And we read the Bible from that lens um, instead of digging into church history and digging into the early church fathers and mothers and, and, and reading what they had to say and then viewing and kind of wrestling with it and taking that time. So many people don't have that time and so many people are doing different things that God's called them to do. And that's why it's important to release materials like this. God's anointed, you know, me and you and so many other people to release content like this so that the body of Christ can be awakened and see the truth. But, you know, one thing that a lot of people who, you know, just everyday Bible believing, you know, um, godly believers, they, they hear stories of people that, you know, start asking questions and then all of a sudden they're not in the faith anymore. And so I think that's also one thing that really concerns people. Yeah, well, I, I know this for sure, that fear of deception opens the door to deception mm-hmm. because fear and faith are opponents. And so 
uh, the risen Jesus shows up and he says, be not afraid. And then we get to first John four and, and, and John, the beloved says, perfect love drives out fear because fear is to do with punishment. And if you're still afraid, you've not been perfected in love. So I think, um, I, I, I don't think it's people's questions that lead them astray. It's where they look for the answers. So here, I just, when I have heavy duty questions and even pretty intense doubts, um, I pursue those answers from the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the issue. And, and so the deconstructionists who end up walking away from Jesus, well, what's the problem? Was it their questions? Absolutely not. <laughs> the problem is they walked away from Jesus. And, exactly. and, and mm-hmm. so, so I, I, I just look at, at David's Psalms, especially his Psalms of lament. And um, I don't know anybody today who asks more intense questions than him, oh, but yeah. he never walks away. And I think that's the trick, right? It's like, I've just, well, I guess you could walk away. How's that working for you? You know, <laughs> Peter was wise. Peter, Peter was not always wise, but, but when he said like, Jesus even said, well, okay, you can leave too. And he says, where else am I going to go? <laughs> um, so these days I think um, what's going on is, you know, a lot of people are, are, are they're looking for alternatives to Jesus and, and it just really ends up leading generally to nihilism or something like that. It's like, okay, well, Go bottom out uh, on that, I guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, as definitely. for me and my house, <laughs> we're, we we've decided by experience that there's no plan B. Exactly. And so, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a difference, I think, between someone who has come into an intimate knowledge of the Lord compared to somebody who has just learned and been fed traditions and maybe just heard theology expounded upon. You know, there's just a difference there between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And have you truly encountered him in that way? And it doesn't need to be wildly supernatural or extravagant, but it's this inner knowledge that, wow, he is real. I've sensed him. You know, I've come to this um, conclusion in my heart. You know, faith has um, arisen in my heart. You know, that he's he's become real to me because you can have questions. When Jesus is real to you, you can have questions and you'll never stray off the off the path of of walking with him because you know him and he's your friend and you love him and you know it's okay to wrestle and with that him he, and that he, lo- that he welcomes my questions right yeah and like I would say a lot of people have walked away from the faith not because of their questions but because they weren't allowed to ask them mm-hmm. and they're like okay then I'm out of here yeah Does that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I agree 100%, you know, and in the church, we tell people don't have questions, just believe what we're feeding you. And that hurts people too. people that have a mind that want to think and that want to ponder and want to have the questions. It's like, okay, well, you know, and then they just say, okay, this, this must be what Jesus is like. And that's, and that's a shame, really. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful for this resource. And one thing I want to say about you is that um, I've, I've read a couple of your books now and I intend to read more, but um, it, you dive deeply into theology, but at the same time, it's written in a way that the everyday believer can understand what you're saying. 
And so it's very, very readable. And um, you layer it with church history. You layer it with um, quotes from other amazing teachers. It's full of scripture. All of your writings are full of scripture. And so, man, I've really enjoyed and received from and gleaned from your writings. And so I highly recommend for people to grab a copy of this book as well as your others. But this one in particular right now, more Christ-like word. And so I just thank you for your, man, I love just gleaning from people's journey with the Lord. And it's been incredible resource. Thank you so much for letting me share about it. These are things I'm passionate about, and I think we should be. So um, (laughs) if we can do anything to help people stay in love with Jesus or come to love in Jesus and and really value the scriptures that point to him, I'm, I'm grateful for partners like you who helped me do that. (laughs) <laughs> I just love one of the scriptures that blew my mind and I oh man, I don't have exact chapter and verse right now, but is where Jesus says in the same way, the father loves me. I love you. Like imagine how much does the father love his son, Jesus, and we are loved with the same intensity as, as that. And so man, I just love talking to people that their life is all about Jesus. <laughs> you know, they're not getting caught up in the minors, but it's all about the Lord and they're just um, transfixed, just, just fixated, excuse me, on Christ, who he is, what he's accomplished. And every single time you share from the scriptures, every single time, I just love communing with people. They're just Jesus people. We're just obsessed. We just love, we can't, we can't interpret the scriptures any other way except through Jesus. And so awesome. For those who are listening right now, definitely grab a hold of a more Christ-like word. And Brad, thank you so much for, for coming with me and sharing with me today. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Awesome. For those who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Uh, Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so we can get it out to more people so that they can encounter the true gospel and they can be awakened to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless you guys. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you next time on Awaken Podcast. Hello, everybody. Mike Lombardo here. Let me tell you about this amazing online store, The Hope Filled Journey. Um, I definitely want to check that out today. Michelle and Renee Torres, they started up an online store in obedience to the Holy Spirit in the midst of a crazy year, full-time jobs, raising four small children. They stepped out in faith and God is honoring it every step of the way. It's www.thehopefilledjourney.com. This is where you'll find extraordinary products, clothes, fashion accessories, jewelry, and more. You'll be able to find amazing clothes for spring, handmade jewelry. Their goal is to inspire faith through through their product line as well as high quality in all they do and produce. Check it out. It's the hopefilledjourney.com. And also, if you today, if you go, well, you have the promo code AWAKEN, promo code AWAKEN. If you go to the website, you can get 25% off of all full-priced items and all orders over $60 will ship free. And so that's 25% off today, all full price items and any orders, $60 or more will ship free. And so make sure to go to the website that is www.thehopefilledjourney.com and make sure to use promo code AWAKEN.